Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day. Try to have thoughtful conversations about things that matter. Claude Jennings is the co-host and producer. Claude, good morning to you. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, Joining us today is our friend Seth Liebson, host of the Seth Liebson Show, her daily on KKNT 960 AM in Phoenix. You can hear him online at 960thepatriot.com. But first, a few things I would like to discuss. Claude, let's talk about this flood of emails we got and yeah. what those emails were about. So we've got a ton of emails, by the way. You can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Lots of great response from the show we did last week where we just discussed what was on your mind, news of the day. We shared some emails. The story of Ricky Fowler and Manny is a really popular one. Some responses from that with people having their own Ricky Fowler moments, if we can coin it. This is, uh, quickly, this is Ricky Fowler giving your very young son a uh, golf ball, right? Right, 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 right. Giving a golf ball at, at, at a tournament. And uh, yeah, we, we get home and he's playing with the golf balls. Like, stop that. I've got to put it in a, in a case. And so, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, lots of responses. People want more of that. And so we promise to deliver on that. We'll, we'll intersperse more shows where we're just kind of talking about what's going on and sharing emails. And, and, and uh, one person called it a great show in, uh, to uh, get them going into the holiday season. A good holiday treat is what one email said. There was a similar story about a, a, a special ball that got lost. Uh, right. Tell that story. Tell from the from the email. So, yeah, the, the similar story comes from uh, Jim. Uh, he says, I listened to uh, Claude's golf ball story uh, on your latest podcast, and you encouraged us to send our stories into the show. Because I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and we had the Ryder Cup at Valhalla uh-huh, in 20, uh, 2008. Sergio Garcia was kindly, uh, kindly gave his uh, golf ball to my then eight-year-old son, as he departed the 18th green. What a trophy. You know, see, when you get something like that, you don't have to go to the souvenir tent. That's your souvenir. You take that home. Uh, He says, uh, fast forward a few years later, I agreed to install a synthetic chipping and putting green in our yard. Man, I want one of those. And then he says, I found, uh, I find Sergio's ball on the green with all the other shag balls. Uh, What were my kids thinking? I was appalled. Uh, His ball sits on my desk today and I'm not giving it back. (laughs) Uh, that's 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 a lot like your guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because to them, the ball is the ball, and you know, Ricky Fowler gave it to him, or in this case, Sergio. But it's still a ball, you know. Um, yeah. He also added that you may not remember him, but uh, yeah, yeah. But he worked yeah. as uh, Reagan's uh, as an advanced man. Transition team. No, I think it was on uh, Bush Forty One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I spilled coffee in my shirt. He picked up his laundry. Change was in order. I was fumbling with my change and. <laughs> You walked in with your security <laughs> detail. We exchanged hellos, and as a young staffer, staffer, I thought to myself, well, I'm not getting a job with Secretary Bennett. He thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> Still chuckle about it today. Well, that wouldn't have disqualified you from, from me, I'll tell you. You know me, Claude. I don't really care about crap like that. Right. No, no, no. Stuff not like at all. That, I mm-hmm. say. Uh, anyway, that is a great story about that uh, about that golf ball. Yeah. Um, I was taken, too, by that lovely story that Linda sent about her husband and uh, she went to the grocery store and people were looking grumpy. They started up a conversation with a guy in line and mm-hmm. just chit chat, ch- joking about his purchase of lemonade. And, you know, was he going to have vodka with it? And <laughs> just being friendly with the guy. And when he checked out, he said, uh, I want to cover their, uh, their, their stuff. They, I think yeah. they went for some small tomatoes, some uh, cherry tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And she she said, just such a nice gesture, what a smile and a conversation can do. 
mm-hmm. you know, to bring out the best of people. But anyway, I was I was just really taken with people writing and saying how much they enjoyed you and I speaking our minds. Mm-hmm. So um, let's do it. I mean, you know, they want to hear it. I, I got plenty to say. I don't know how much of it is worthwhile. But <laughs> we also got nice emails about uh, people enjoying uh, the shows with uh, Conrad and Victor. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did get an email uh, from a listener who says that they enjoy. And maybe people don't realize that you do have a show with uh, Victor Davis Hanson and Conrad Black. It's called uh, Scholars in Sense. And uh, Paul Donovan uh, says, uh, yeah, he was a big fan of yours since the Reagan uh, cabinet. Uh, he listens to both shows, uh, this one, and he listens to Scholars and Sense. That's your show with uh, Victor Davis Hanson and Conrad Black. People can find that show anywhere where they listen to podcasts. Just uh, type in Scholars and Sense and you'll find it. It says, both shows are excellent and very educational. Please keep it up. I try to catch you on Fox News with Brett Baer. Uh, thank you, Paul from Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, let's end with another story which reminds me of Manny, your son, uh, and that's from Don uh, about David Justice. David Justice, of course, is a great uh, Atlanta Braves baseball player, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Don, uh, let's see, says, thank you for your kind words uh, today on uh, on the last show. Because, yeah, we talked about Don in our, in our email. Says he's a great guy. Uh, he said, I love the story about your son. I've got a similar one. I took my 12-year-old son to see an Atlanta Braves spring training game in West Palm Beach, in 1990, uh, the game ended and David Justice walked by and people, mostly adults, were yelling, hey, Justice, hey, Justice, trying to get him to sign balls, programs, etc. He ignored them all. My son called to him, hey, Mr. Justice, great game. David Justice stopped, uh, walked over to where we were standing, ignored everyone else and said to my son, thank you, young man. He shook my son's hand and asked if he wanted his baseball glove signed. My son immediately handed over his glove, which uh, David uh, signed. David then said to me, good job, Dad. Still got the glove and memory. Treasure both of yours, uh, Claude. Tom flies. Uh, you and your family have a blessed celebration of our Lord's birth. I, I, I take it the point of that story was that his son said Mr. Justice, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not Justice mm-hmm. or Dave, but Mr. Justice. Yep, complimented that, how he played and didn't ask for anything. Just wanted to agree Yeah, and that reminds me of Manny and, and Ricky Fowler. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. nice lesson there for the kids. You know, be respectful. Be polite. You can be excited. Don't ever talk down to these guys. Talk up to them, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you mm-hmm. admire them. It's a very, very good lesson. Very good lesson. We got a couple more emails, Claude. Yeah. So, um, man, uh, you talked about uh, a Linda. Uh, here's another Linda um, who emailed in and uh, just going with the same thing with the Ricky Fowler stories. Uh, she uh, has a um, story uh, to tell about her late father who got her oldest son, who was five at the time, autographed visors from Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. Yes, that Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. Apparently her dad had gone to Bay Hill, to a Bay Hill tournament. Uh, and um, uh, let's see. And he was able to get both visors signed for his grandson and said, to this day, my son loves golf and the memory of grandpa not necessarily in that order. And hopes we all have a wonderful Christmas. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. Great. Oh, and she also said she appreciated your defense of Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, said thank you for stating something that should be obvious to um, even President Trump. Uh, and then and, and she, she, she also says, uh, as a conservative born and bred, I also appreciate your kind words for Senator Scott. I voted for the first time in my life for Ronald Reagan and I would like to vote once more before <laughs> before I die for a man of civility who also shares my values. Governor DeSantis is wonderful too, um, but uh, wouldn't he make the, the great attack dog 
that uh, Veep should be. That he, I guess he would make a better vice president. She's saying bringing Florida along would be another a thing a Veep is supposed to do. LBJ didn't call, uh, become vice president for nothing. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, the Sanus, I think, is regarded by even Trump critics as a, a tamer form of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like him a lot. I think he'd be a great candidate. I think Tim Scott's a good candidate. I think we have several good candidates. Um, and we'll just have to see how that works out. But listen, we love these uh, emails, folks. So keep coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do they send an email? How in heaven's name? I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, if you want to be like Linda and the other Linda and Don and all of our friends, including Jimmy Jackson, who emailed in, said he loves hearing us unload our thoughts and respects your opinions as much as anyone's, uh, you could email BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, we'd appreciate hearing from you. Your view of uh, the year, uh, mm-hmm. best thing of the year, worst thing of the year. We're going to do this with Seth, uh, sort of the year in review, focusing on children. Uh, you'll see why as, uh, as the show develops. But uh, your comments on the year 2021, we'd love to know. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. Seth Liebson, host of the Seth Liebson Show, joins us now. Seth, uh, did you see that thing I sent you from the Washington Post? The 10 biggest stories of the year. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Number one is January 6th. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, quote, insurrection, close quote. And the Post uh, writer says this should actually be the way every history of America should open with reference yeah. to January 6th, yeah. 2021. Yeah. Um, are they absolutely crazy? What are they going to do this January 6th? Just go nuts? Well, you could you could start, I guess, in our new dis- dispensation, you can start history whenever you want to. You don't have to start America in 1776 as everyone, including Abraham Lincoln, all the way until three years ago started it. You can just pick some arbitrary year. Why not start history with January 6th, 2021 if you want to? I'd start it in March of 2020, and the headline would be, Riots kicked off and set off throughout the country, leading to 14,000 arrests and over 30 murders including mass resignations of police force captains and chiefs across the country. And when asked about one in her hometown, one riot in her hometown, Nancy Pelosi, the then Speaker of the House, said people will do what people will do. How about starting history that way? I mean, it's just all arbitrary now, isn't it? Yeah. Or we could start history with the takeover of the Wisconsin state legislature for weeks. Was that a cessation of democracy? Or maybe we could start history with the Democratic legislatures, legislators violating their oath of office and every Texan's uh, right to uh, vote and have an elected representation in the state house by fleeing the state. So they would be out of the jurisdiction for a quorum on a majority vote that they would lose. I mean, you know, the idea that January 6th, which led to a, which was constituted of less than a thousand people that every Republican or conservative that anyone had ever heard of denounced is representational of anything is itself insane. Very good. I think you're right. Fair enough. Let's take the year and review, Seth. Forget January 6th. What do you recall from the year? What, what happened this year that, well, let's say this, what happened this year that was really significant that isn't hitting the headlines. You and I have talked about children. Uh, Okay, I got one. I got something that isn't hitting the headlines. You know, this, by the way, it's a great question because this is a year 
of about 20 things that should have been the story of the year that we just landed on and then jumped to a new lily pad with no consequence. And I can give you example after example, starting with the evacuation of Afghanistan. But I'll tell you the one that has me most animated right now. The one that has me most animated right now is the fact that for a year, a year, our government officials have said you have to get or it is recommended that you get one of three vaccines, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer. If anyone raised objections, particularly about iatrogenic or adverse effects online about these vaccines, they were censored. The government kept saying you have to do, even went into the form of a mandate to individual businesses that that would require you to take one of these three vaccines. One week ago, one week ago, after a year of this, the government says, whoops, no longer Johnson & Johnson, make it just Moderna or Pfizer. Why? Because Johnson & Johnson had led to several uh, several uh, lung diseases led to several lung diseases, the kind of thing we weren't allowed to talk about for the last year that killed 10 people. Now, someone may say, well, 10 deaths isn't that many. They're right. Why is Omicron in the news then? There have been an 800% increase of deaths due to Johnson & Johnson, which the government told us to take over anyone having died from Omicron, an 800% death increase. Why? Is that not the main story? And why would anyone listen to what this government is telling them about COVID anymore? A friend writes, a good friend of ours lives in South Carolina, writes, here's my list of headlines for 2021. Joe Biden oversees worst foreign policy disaster in in modern American history. Comment, Seth? Worst foreign policy disaster in modern American history. I was rereading a lot about the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I think last time I was with you, we were talking about rereading old books, how strong the Vietnam syndrome was after 1975. And it was erased under George H.W. Bush in the first Gulf War. It really took that long. And you will recall headlines, the Vietnam syndrome is over. No one learns about the Vietnam syndrome anymore. No one knows what that phrase is anymore if if they're under 50. The reason for that phrase were the images that came out of Saigon in 1975 when we fled Saigon. The only reason it was relevant was because of those images. Well, we had those images um, coming out of Afghanistan this very year, this very year, the same images. And unfortunately, if you were under 50, you didn't recognize them. If you were over 50, you did. And uh, what we saw there was not only a, a replication of what gave us the Vietnam syndrome, but a stronger signal than ever to, um, to our allies and to our enemies alike that America cannot be counted on. You cannot count on America. And it's just like the letter Sirik Matak had to send to the uh-huh. charged affairs in Cambodia when he was offered safe evacuation when the U.S. abandoned Cambodia. It's one of the saddest things you'll ever read if you want to go back and look at that letter, Sirik Matak. One of the saddest things, he says, the only mistake he ever made was trusting America. Well, they're saying that all over the world right now. It was awful. And we learn another story that should have been the story of the year, that our State Department and our Defense Department and our embassies had no clue how many Americans were left behind in Afghanistan. It turns out last week they were wrong by a factor of 900%. Okay. Candidate three. 
Well, I guess you kind of covered this, but coronavirus mass hysteria continues. To me, the biggest glaring inconsistency is kind of the obvious one. It didn't take any originality like it did with your comment uh, up front. But all of the mask mandates and people coming into the country and airplanes and out restaurants, but thousands, hundreds of thousands of people pouring in over the southern border. No no mask mandate there for anybody, right? Wrong? The inconsistencies are tremendous. Anyone who wants to... There's contradictions, really. Go ahead, yeah. Well, because they don't match any science. And you can talk about what's taking place at the border. You can talk about what we're asking people to do on airplanes and in restaurants. You can tell them to mask while they are on their way to sitting down, but the moment they sit down and start actually expectorating the kind of thing that actually transmits this virus, they can take their masks off. And that's how we're supposed to get along in this world. It makes no sense. And nobody, nobody who is a mask uh, enforcer, I guarantee you, is using their mask the proper way. You can go to the CDC website and find out how to use the mask. I guarantee you I've never met anyone who uses the mask the way the CDC is guiding them to do so. And the person who does it the worst, the person who violates mask protocols the worst, is actually the president of the United States who now calls it your patriotic duty to wear one. You watch the way he handles his mask when he talks about his mask, the way he takes it on and puts it off, the way he coughs into his hand. There is no better example of what not to do than the commander in chief when it comes to masks and science. But you know, there's another thing I'm worrying about. Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. I'm curious. Uh, Maybe everybody knows the answer. I don't. Maybe Claude does. What does CDC say about the proper way to use a mask? Well, the first thing they say is anyone who's using a disposable mask should not use it more than once. That would mean that if you go into a store wearing a mask and then come out of that store, you should not be putting that disposable mask in your pocket and using it again later. That is a violation of the CDC guidelines. We are also learning that these people with the fancy embroidered uh, cloth masks or bespoke masks useless. Everyone from the professors at George Washington University to our old buddy, he's not really a buddy, but the guy we used to interview, Michael Osterholm from Minnesota, who's probably the second most famous epidemiologist in the world after Anthony Fauci, says that those cloth masks are useless. No one is using these things the right way. Go ahead with what you were going to say. Well, I wonder about your views on this, Um, but there's something very interesting about this Omicron variant, at least in our in our in our rhetoric, in our in our vernacular that I didn't see with Delta or anything else since the coronavirus. The word Omicron is now replacing the word COVID. Have you have you noticed that? Oh, do you have Omicron? Oh, it's an Omicron disease. Oh, you're getting Omicron. Oh, because of Omicron. It's almost as if the word COVID has lost its toxicity and its ability to scare people that they are now seizing on this word that actually does sound a little bit more scary than COVID. It almost sounds like ominous. Omicron. It's it's a um, the real word for this is synecdoche, but it is a replacement word for COVID because it seems like uh, we have used uh, too much Um, too much of the phrase COVID, so much so that we have now saturated society with it and they no longer care. So we have to have this new fearful thing. Interestingly enough, as I say, 
800% more people have died from the J&J vaccine than from Omicron. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I one of the things I don't understand, I mean, there's so many things here. Get a test to see if you have Omicron, or if you don't get a test to see if you have Omicron, but you have the symptoms of Omicron, the answer is the same. Well, see, even here, this is a good example of it. There is no test you can take to tell you if you have Omicron. Right. There is no test. We're already replacing it with COVID. The way we find out if you have the Omicron variant of COVID is actually pretty difficult. And no one can really tell an individual whether that's what that whether that's the variant they have. The CDC analyzes variants through a through a very technically uh, technically complicated system. Parenting uh, magazine has a really good article. uh, Excuse me. Prevention magazine has a very good article on it that came out yesterday on how they do this. But anyone who tells you they have the Omicron variant, ask them how they know. Ask them how they know, not to make a fool of them, but to just take a little bit of the sting out of Omicron. Israel yesterday made headlines all over the world for having its first Omicron death. Today, it pulled it back and said, oops, sorry, Delta. It's impossible for doctors to know or for individuals to know if you actually have the Omicron variant of the COVID virus unless you spend an awful lot of work and time to find out okay. with your doctor, and it takes a few, several days. But my point is the regimen. Well, the way they do it, the technical word is sequencing. Sorry. The regimen is the same whether you test positive or just feel that you've got it at home without testing. Rest, aspirin, liquids, hydration, blah, blah. It's the same thing. No point in getting the test. I agree with you, unless you, uh, unless you're, of course, concerned about going um, into an event that requires that you be vaccinated. This is an interesting thing, actually. A lot of events, concerts, venues, uh, they require vaccination, and if you can't show proof of vaccination, some of them will do free on-site testing. Uh, you know, rapid testing, free on-site. Sometimes maybe not free. Do you realize that the people that are testing negative and going into that venue? are safer than the people who are vaccinated because the people who are vaccinated who aren't being tested that day, that hour, that moment, they may very well have COVID. We know they can transmit it. We know the guy who doesn't have it and just tested negative can't. It's pretty upside down. Lots of inconsistencies, lots of upside down. Tell us about how this fever um, pitch about uh, COVID and now Omicron um, has affected us, particularly our children. Well, this is a really very sad and long story, and maybe that's the ultimate story of the year, Bill. Um, the first thing I would say, you know, Churchill and Roosevelt talked about what they would be calling, what the historians would be calling, what we now call World War II. And Churchill said we could call it the preventable war because it didn't have to happen. I think we could say the same thing about what we saw with children. Uh, About three weeks ago, the current U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy issued uh, an advisory on on the youth mental health crisis that was exacerbated by COVID-19 with all kinds of indicia, uh, mental harm, uh, ED uh, visits, emergency department visits, substance use, um, depression, anxiety, all that kind of thing. He didn't have to do this because those things didn't have to happen. And they didn't have to happen because we were talking about it in March of 2020 and being censored for raising those concerns. Eleanor McCants Katz was the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services for Mental Health under Donald Trump. She may be one of the most well-credentialed people to be talking about this, 
She has an MD in psychiatry and a PhD in epidemiology, Senate confirmed. She gave a massive speech on the warnings, uh, massive, a major speech on the warnings of uh, mental health uh, uh, crises that children would go through, through the disruption of school and everything else having to do with lockdowns, loss of work, and uh, that sort of thing. That was back in uh, end of March, early April last year. No one covered it. I did. The reason I did on my radio show was because I was doing a lot of monologues on COVID and uh, we were posting them on YouTube and YouTube uh, censored each and every one. And when we finally reached uh, the shirts, the suits at YouTube, they said, our policy is in discussing COVID, you can only quote and use governmental sources. So I engaged in an experiment and I gave a monologue simply reciting Eleanor McCann's Katz's speech and identifying it as hers. YouTube took it down. They, no one wanted anyone to have any kind of ancillary views about what these lockdowns, shutdowns, and school closings would do to children when we were warning about it in April. And it wasn't a huge guessing game as to what would happen. And now the receipts are in. You now have the American Academy of Pediatrics issuing a general warning. They told you that uh, emergency department visits for mental health emergencies increased 24% for children ages 5 and 11, 31% for children 12 to 17, 51% emergency department visits over suspected suicide attempts for women ages 12 to 17, on and on it goes. Uh, and then, of course, you have the substance use or the drug abuse problem in this country, which has skyrocketed 25% year over year, 100,000 deaths, 100,000 deaths. That's a 900% increase since you were in the Reagan administration. You know, you know I just heard a father on, uh, on TV uh, talking about his daughter died of fentanyl. And the interviewer said, so an overdose. He said, no, what an overdose? She didn't die of an overdose. She, she was poisoned. Uh, he then went on, I thought, quite eloquently about failure of the government to do what government's supposed to do, which is keep us safe, uh, take on China on this, take a cut off the dragon's head, uh, take on Mexico, take on the drug cartels, et cetera. That's, that was a big part of the story, wasn't it, uh, from the drug deaths, uh, over drug, the opioid deaths, was a lot of opioids contained fentanyl in it, correct? Yeah, let, let's return to that in a second, if, if it's okay for me to ask you to sure, do that. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm seized by the father's story. He said it wasn't an overdose, it was a poisoning. God bless him. You know, I'm tired of these euphemisms, and I'm su suspecting you are too. I caught myself, you know, the new use, the new term of art is substance use. I'm not doing it. Let's call it drug abuse. Let's call it what it is. And let's not normalize any of this. I don't know if you caught this... Uh, this uh, too many euphemisms in our society now. I don't know if you caught some of the Jussie Smollett trial, but one of his one of the uh, one of the prosecution's witnesses, one of the brothers he hired, is walking in to testify to court, and the CBS cameraman puts his microphone in uh, in that witness's face and says, "Are you looking forward to telling your truth?" He says, "Not my truth, the truth." I am tired of these euphemisms. Good for that dad for saying poisoning, and I'm sorry for him, of course. For what his family had to go through but that's the right that's the right language poisoning right as for the numbers you bet that also didn't have to happen hasn't had to happen for a long time but we have been seeing an increase over increase over increase uh when you and i uh started working on the um on the fentanyl overdose stuff on a project we were doing a couple of years ago 
we were uh, we were pulling our hair out out of uh, over losing sixty thousand Americans to drug overdoses. Yeah, yeah, so that was yeah, just yeah. a few years ago. Whoever knew it would be eighty thousand last year? Whoever knew it would be a hundred thousand? That's an incredible, incredible failure of government at every single level. I have a professor friend here at ASU. He likes to remind that the CDC's full and official name is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They failed. Yeah, yeah, they sure did. They sure did. Uh, let me uh, let me talk a little bit more about young people. Uh, just one other perspective. We got the scores from NAEP for the pre-COVID year, that is 2019, and our scores were down, math and reading, uh, down pretty badly, pretty considerably. Uh, then we get into the uh, year 2020. We don't have those NAEP scores yet, uh, but we do have scores from some other sources uh, suggesting that we were down in 2020 from where we were in 2019, which was not a good place. Now we're in 2021. Doesn't look so good. Looks like we may be down again. Uh, mental health, uh, learning, uh, stability, uh, social interaction, uh, capacity and interest in expressing oneself, being with others. How much has been lost by this younger generation because of our fixation on masks, isolation, COVID, lockdowns, etc.? give you the same answer the mayor of New York City gave when he was asked on 9-11 how many people uh, have uh, have lost their lives today and he says more said more than we can bear the answer is more than we can bear because mm-hmm. it's incalculable and we are going to euphemize our way out of this Los Angeles magazine interviewed the head of the teachers union in Los Angeles, Cecily Mayart Cruz. I'm not sure if you, if, if you saw this United teachers of Los Angeles. And she was asked in September of this year, what, uh, what the effect of a year's loss of learning will be. May I quote her directly? Sure. Our kids didn't lose anything. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They learned survival skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Bill, this is the uh, head of the teachers union in, uh, is it the largest or second largest uh, educational zone in the country? Yeah. Not, not only, not only is it incalculable, the professional educators don't think it's an issue at all and are strutting over it, strutting. Well, remember that uh, a large group of educators met uh, in several meetings a couple of years ago and said the purpose of education is not math and reading and history and science. The purpose of education is social justice and equity. Uh, They didn't even mean that in the usual meaning of those terms. They meant a kind of indoctrination of the sort uh, witnessed in the comment that you heard. Are people pretty much running out of patience with these schools, with the public schools? Look what the teachers did. Look what the unions did. Look at the stuff that's coming out uh, that's that's being distributed uh, in schools all over the country. Uh, I mean, you know, Governor-elect Youngkin in Virginia uh, very significantly got elected because of his stand on education. I mean, you know, is this the moment? Is this a pivot? Is this the turning point? We know that homeschooling is increasing dramatically. We know that charter school applications are increasing dramatically. Uh, Is this the moment that uh, people say, let's try something else? 
I hope so. It's a little sad, isn't it, to say that we can't uh, trust anymore uh, that which really was, you know, a, a mainstay and bastion of building uh, our civilization, that is to say our schools that we all pay taxes to fund. But I would temper any enthusiasm just a tad. Look how close that Yunkin race was. And that's mm-hmm. in a state that really maybe more than almost any other, maybe top five values education, real education. Um, you know, 50% of the country or more has no problem with the statement that uh, that head of yeah. the LA Teachers Union had. Now, yeah. as for the other 40 or 50% of the nation, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But we've got to figure out a way to do it that starves them of their lifeblood, which is their money. Um, it's not going to do any good for me to continue pay taxes for a school I don't, uh, I don't like in my neighborhood here in Phoenix uh, while they're indoctrinating uh, the next generation of students. I want to be able to pinpoint my tax dollars uh, to schools that I agree with and that I like, or at least to allow yeah. parents to yeah. pick the schools with those tax dollars that they agree with and they like. And that's not really happening. Well, yeah, but you, 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 you'll, you'll recall, what's that great story you had at Secretary of Education about the school that had something like a 100% absentee rate? Yeah, People were yeah. still paying for that damn oh, school. That Chicago, Chicago, yeah. 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 The dropout rate was on close to 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was getting paid. Teachers were, uh, I used to ask, you know, with, with bells still going off, were announcements still being made? Yeah. There were no students in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the citizens of Chicago were still paying a sizable portion of their property taxes to that school. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. No, I, I don't know. We'll see. As you were talking about outrageous comments, and that comment from L.A. is uh, certainly one. I just heard one the other day. This is, again, another inversion. Uh, it's, it was an ad. It was the end of an ad for one of these retirement homes, you know, where parents, where parents go. Uh, and I understand that some circumstances, this is the right decision and the, and the humane decision, the best decision, but um, I, not, a, not at all. But I thought the rhetoric of the, of the, of it was amazing at the end of it. It said, so uh, send your parent or your mom, your dad to whatever it is, sunny home village uh, for care. So you can be their son and daughter again, not their caregiver. What does that mean? What does that mean? They can be your son and daughter again and not their so, caregiver. So you can be their son and daughter again, not their caregiver. Yeah. Is is there something wrong with being their caregiver? Is there something less about being their caregiver? What, what do you do then? Just have drinks and, and yeah, and talk I, I don't know. I mean, is is this is this the continual effort to infant infantilize everyone at every level? I I don't know. I don't know yeah. what it's about. Um, well, we it's an attempt to trivialize the family. Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. Well, that's, that's a big sure. story. That's a big story too. That got undocumented or undiscussed or not enough, not well enough discussed this year. Uh, the destruction of the family unit, it's really a very interesting thing uh, how it came out of several, several different left-wing, left-wing movements um, over the last two years that were lauded and heralded just at a time when the family unit was probably most needed and most really sacrosanct given everything else going around the world. I don't know if you read any of the BLM curriculum. I don't know if you read any of these other uh, new statements that are coming, but all of them were about disrupting the traditional family. 
all of them. And that's not new either. I was reminding people when two out of the three BLM founders announced that they were trained Marxists, do yeah, understand sure. that the Communist Manifesto talks about disrupting the family. And Frederick Engels, Marxist co-author, wrote an entire book on dismantling the traditional family. This is not new stuff, um, but it's new that we're taking it seriously and euphemizing it and sanitizing it. And it's also going to have repercussions that I gather will be incalculable. We're going to end on some uh, cheerful notes, if we can think of them in a few minutes. But let's let's talk about another uh, dollars thing, uh, uh, a thing that uh, thing that is uh, is discouraging. Attack on the family is one thing. The attack on gender is another. What's going on in the schools, so-called gender choice? We hear about schools all the time, uh, preschools even, saying to kids three or four or five years old, what do you want to be today, a boy or a girl? Um, And, uh, you know, this this leads to acting out. It also leads to an awful lot of confusion uh, among uh, children. And, uh, you know, in Virginia, again, you know, the surface issue was critical race theory. But I've 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 had a conversation with some parents who are very close to the business in Loudoun County, and they said the thing that really infuriated them the most was the single sex bathroom where, uh, or uh, or the two sex bathrooms, girls and boys, but where you could pick your gender. The boy who walked in in a dress and raped a girl in the girls' room, and then went to that school board meeting, was manhandled by the cops and thrown out. Uh, the the attack on gender, like the attack on family, is an attack on fundamentals. I mean, there is not much more fun, anything more fundamental than your identity, your sexual identity, boy or girl. So we see the Ivy League here, hopeless to do anything about this guy who lets his hair grow long and then competes at the University of Pennsylvania uh, as a woman and wins all the events. Uh, they seem helpless to be able to respond to this. Where did that helplessness come from? The helplessness helplessness came from um, uh, castrating the cattle and demanding the function after we've removed the organ, as C.S. Lewis talks Mm -hmm. about in Men Without Chests. Mm -hmm. We've uh, castrated the cattle and bid the gelding be fruitful. Um, That's where it started in the 1940s. It's been on a steady run ever since. And two, you know, you're right, by the way, I'm trying to remember the woman's name who was kind of the spokesman for those families at Loudoun County. I think she's a professor at Georgetown. She was Daniel Pearl's friend. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a former Wall Street Journal reporter. She, stu- she was one of the main spokesmen for the Loudoun County parents. And I saw an interview she did where she held up some of these books that are talking about what you're talking about. One critical race theory stuff. It was transgender stuff, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, books aimed at five-year-olds, six-year-olds, and seven-year-olds. And I, uh, I, I had not heard of, of these titles. Why would I? I went on Amazon. I found 20 more aimed at uh, kindergartners and preschoolers. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how much it's suffused um, our, 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 our young people, but it's more amazing how many people don't know about it. And then the second thing I wanted to mention, I've had a couple conversations. This never happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you or, or Claude. This has never happened to me until t- till this last year where I met um, 
uh, two, uh, two children in the set, one in the seventh, one in the eighth grade, both of whose friends are, what's the phrase of our transitioning or have transitioned. Right. Right. I, I've never seen this before. I saw two in the past year and what the friends who haven't trans their friends are telling me is, you know, eighth graders, they just don't see anything. We don't, they don't get why we think it's a big deal. That's the real problem. They don't get why we think it's a big deal. So while you may have an outrage over it, or I may or the, have outrage over it, or anyone uh, adult may have an outrage over it, we seem to have neutered ourselves in the ability to communicate the right and wrong message to our children. Sia uh, Chesterton tells the story of a man who, um, who, is, who is roomed at Oxford with a, uh, with a student uh, from a cannibalist tribe in, uh, in uh, Africa. And uh, when the cannibalist wants to go out to have something to eat, the student says, oh, I'm sorry, we just don't do that here. We better be able to do that. We used to be able to give reasons for why things are wrong. Just saying we don't do that here ain't going to cut it. And it certainly isn't going to move children into understanding the difference between right and wrong. We better find a new moral education or an old moral vocabulary, one that you've been very good at writing about for your career, Bill and rediscover it mighty quickly, or we're going to wake up in a country we don't realize or recognize anymore. Rediscover. I keep thinking of our friend uh, uh, Tom Wolfe's great phrase, the great relearning. We need to engage in a great relearning uh, of fundamental things. I, I have the kind of discouraging thought that one of the reasons that CRT led, led the headlines and the fight was it was is relatively relatively easy to explain and criticize um, the gender business. You talk about the eighth graders not seeing anything wrong, uh, right? And a lot of parents would have a lot of trouble they do. articulating what's it's wrong. Very hard on, for them. Very on hard. the on the gender thing. Yep. Yep. You know, if that's your choice, you yep. know, yep. the CRT thing while well, it's being forced on people, but the transitioning uh, is uh, you know their choice. And we have to be able to explain uh, a kind of what we used to call status responsibility. When you were born a certain way, you have a responsibility as a creature of that um, chromosomal type uh, to uh, to be and to acknowledge what you are and who you are. Uh, this is a hard one. It's a harder one. I admit it. It's a harder one. But it's a more fundamental one. And in the end, a more pernicious one, even more the so than CRT, I think. Well, can we can we put in a stopgap while we rediscover what everything you just said and relearn, you know, that this country was founded on exactly what you just said? Can we put a stopgap in that says something like, you know, maybe pre-K and kindergartners and first graders and second graders, maybe even seventh graders aren't really mature enough to be making lifelong decisions about their physical body? having to do with sex, maybe we can just delay it until, I don't know, something like seven. Can we put in a stopgap that says, you know, we never talked about any kind of sexual issues with kindergartners before. Why are we now teaching them about the most dramatic kinds of sexual uh, behavior, including changes to your physical body that you yourself would engage in with a physician that will have lifelong consequences. Can we just say, maybe wait a little bit? Can, can we not do that while we discover the fundamentals of the N-word nature? Uh, I don't know. Uh, this goes back to 
I remember a, a magazine that had me standing there next to Dr. Coop. You remember Dr. Coop? C. Everett Coop. Loved him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he and I had some fundamental disagreements. He thought sex education ought to begin in kindergarten. And I remember he thought a playground ought to have a slide that resembled the fallopian tube to teach kids um, about sex and sexual organs. I said, well, I love him a little less now. I did not know. <laughs> I did yeah. not know that. Oh, this was a huge, huge debate. Yeah. But I do think it's uh, it's fundamental. When you say wait, I would say wait. And given what we now know, the development of the brain, it's not fully mature till what mid twenties. Isn't that? Yeah, right? they keep pushing it up. When we started looking at that research, yeah. about twenty one. I think they're settling around twenty four, twenty five now. That's right. But, we started uh, but, looking. We were it was yeah. a, it was in the late teens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think that's right. You know, uh, your old buddy uh, Norman Podhoritz tells of the story when Allen Ginsberg came to visit him in his apartment to try and sell him on his wares of ridiculousness, and Norman wasn't having it and pretty much kicked him out of the apartment. Ginsberg's last words were, "We'll get you through your children." Well, they didn't get Norman's kids. Norman's kids ended up working for you, but <laughs> they got an awful lot of that generation. They yeah, knew what sure. they were doing. The left knew what they were doing with the kids. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah. yeah. And that's why the schools are so important. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about 2021. What's good? What's happening that's good? What happened that's good? A lot of people woke up about schools. That's a good thing. A lot yeah. of parents took back control. That's a good thing. Um I think it's a good thing that a lot of Americans are realizing that um, if they don't quite grasp it in its entirety just yet, at least the seeds were planted that, you know, feelings may, after all, be a little less important than facts in the sense that, you know, maybe all the bluster and, um, and energy that was consumed over the way that Donald Trump talked wasn't so bad as the way that Joe Biden's policies are affecting everyday Americans. Maybe, maybe there's a bit of a realization about that, that tone and temperament might be less important than actual factual reality and, 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 and the economy on the ground for individual households. Um, maybe there's a realization that after a year of learning on COVID and after the uh, accessibility to vaccines and then seeing that more people died from and with COVID after the vaccine and the year of learning under Joe Biden's watch than Donald Trump's watch, maybe it's not all Republicans' fault. Maybe this really shouldn't have been a partisan thing. I'm hoping people are coming to that. I can't say for sure, but I hope they're coming to that realization because at a certain point, at a certain point, you know, emotions, they just aren't based in anything and lives are. Yeah. No, the, you heard me on this before I wrote it down. The antibodies are kicking in. Yeah. The American capacity for self-renewal. It's like we were knocked against the ropes, you know, and got stunned. But now all of a sudden people waking up say, hey, what the hell are you doing in our schools? What, what the hell did you do in Afghanistan? You can't, you can't treat people like that. What are you, what are you doing with this economy? Uh, what do you mean? And what the hell are you doing with a president that can't distinguish the difference between pills, shots, and vaccines when he gives you yeah. interviews? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I you know, it is, is, an, is an awful thing to say, but I take great encouragement in the fact that Biden's approval rating is going down, down, down. Uh, it seems to me Americans are waking up saying this is, this is, this is a bunch of garbage. 
and we're not going to take it anymore. You know, what's the guy say in the movie? I'm sick and tired, not taking it anymore. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Remember mm-hmm. Alexander mm-hmm. Solzhenitsyn's great essay, Live Not by Lies? Yeah. I think, I think even Joe Biden's supporters must know that they're perpetrating and portraying a lie. I yeah. think they yeah. must deep down know that. I'm thinking they must. How could they not? They would have to be blind and deaf not to. Well, those people in the middle of so-called independence, you know, he's, he's losing their support dramatically. And so, you know, the agenda of the far left, which includes all the things we've talked about, uh, is, is failing with the American people. It's failing. Now, will people act on it? Will they vote on it? As you point out, the vote in Virginia, yeah, Youngkin won, but it was close. Uh, the presidential election coming up. Supposing Trump runs against Biden. I don't know what the result will be. That's why I'm very wary of Trump running again, uh, because I think that, that others could probably do better uh, than uh, than President Trump, whom I regard as a, a, a very good president in terms of policy, a very good president. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure. So I, I worry about that. Um, it would be good to have a lot of the policies of Donald Trump embodied in someone who's not Donald Trump. Is that fair? Yeah, I'll accept and adopt your answer, and I'll accept and adopt Dennis Prager's answer. It's very similar. He was asked about this the other day, got in trouble with some callers. He said, let me be very clear. I don't know of anyone who defended Donald Trump more than I did. Well, a lot of people did, but, you know, Dennis has bragging rights to that. He um, He said, but I have only one concern when it comes to politics, only one, and it's defeating the left. And if Donald Trump can't win, then I lose. And I don't know that he can win, but I'm pretty sure there are some others that could. And that's why I think he shouldn't run, because I'm not in this for Donald Trump any more than I'm in this for Ron DeSantis. I'm in this to defeat the left. And whoever has the best chance to beat the Democrat, that's who I'm going to support. And I'm just not quite sure it's Trump anymore. Yeah, that's a good answer, I think. It is a good, good answer. answer. It's, your, it's what you said. I just, you know, giving you, giving you some West Coast support. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. It's always good to get support from you and from Dennis Brady. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one comfort during the course of this year is, and other years has been your company and your friendship and uh, your, your helpfulness to, uh, to me and to us. And I, I thank you. I know Claude joins me in that, right, Claude? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, know, there's no, um, this is not to be exaggerated. I'm not exaggerating, but there's, there's no text I like seeing better than a text from Claude Jennings. He, <laughs> he is a dream walking and you are uh, fortunate to have him by your side, Bill. I am fortunate to have you as uh, my friend and my teacher and what I've been calling you uh, probably for about six or seven years now, which is my surrogate father. So God bless you all. And mm-hmm. a very That's Merry true. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, Claude, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 